Welcome to Backyard Oasis, a podcast designed by and for older adults living in the beautiful Pioneer Valley of Western Massachusetts and produced in the tech studios at Greenfield Community College in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Backyard Oasis reaches out to older adults who seek knowledge to help them live more thoughtfully, healthily, and happily who hope to inspire others with their ideas and who serve their communities in the interest of the greater good. We hope you join us frequently in our pleasant backyard oasis for wide-ranging conversations with a diversity of people who are growing older and want to talk about it. Good day and welcome to Oasis Podcast. Um, backyard. Um, I'm Chad, and I'm here with Al Rimback today. Um, Al Rimback is originally from Nyack, New York area, and he moved to Ashfield in 1968 and had two garages in, in Greenfield from 74 through 1980. Since then, he's been, uh, his garage has been in Ashfield, and he's been running the same business, uh, pretty much repair and sales. Um, we'll probably get into some of that later in the show. Um, but uh, we're going to try to cover cars through the ages. That's um, what we're naming today's show. Um, we're going to start at the very beginning. And hopefully, if we have time, we'll go on through um, today and maybe what's in store for the future. So welcome to the show, Al. Good to see you. Hey, thank you very much. Um, why don't we do like I say? Start at the beginning. Um, <laughs> I know uh, one of them was uh, Durier. Is that the correct pronunciation? As right near as here. I can tell. Yeah. Yeah, right here in Springfield. Uh, Springfield was quite the industrial city back then. Uh, Indian Motorcycle and others started here, um, but. What can you tell me about Duryea? Do you know about them? Very little. It was one of the first cars made. There was others in Europe about the same time. <clears throat> and it was, it was actually a couple of brothers. And I don't think they ever made very many cars because back then there were people who only made two. And others made 300. You know? So it was, it was an interesting time. As to what else I can tell you about it? I bet you it was a one cylinder, and I bet you that was sitting on top of it. That's the usual persuasion. Like a prototype. And yeah. they, they steered them with a tiller a lot rather than a steering wheel. And if you saw what they used for steering linkage. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think, well, they were going pretty slow, too. Well, uh, oh, they were pretty slow, all right, but they were still more dangerous. They are more dangerous at 12 miles an hour than our cars that are at 100, and that's yeah, right. the truth. <laughs> Do you think they... Um, their prototypes, like you say, there wasn't a big production, but do you think their prototypes were before Mercedes, the currently oldest car company in the world? I miss some of them, sorry. Um, do you think they predated Mercedes, which is the oldest oh, car? Oh, oh, I can't recall. But they, everybody was onto it. The, the gasoline engine had been invented, and everybody wanted to stick it into something you could move around instead of a steam engine like a train. So it was... You know, they were already thinking about airplanes at that point, too. The gasoline engine was light enough to consider using for things you couldn't. So, um, but, yeah, it was popping up everywhere. Um, well, in Europe as well as here. Was I? In Europe as well as here. 
They were popping up all over, you said. Well, I mean, it's, it's a lot of, in the history of science and whatnot, things are not invented in a vacuum. Everybody was working on airplanes when the Wright brothers happened to get the first one that worked, but not for long. And the same with cars. It was an idea whose time had come. Yeah, right. Um, I really have a big feeling that um, the more and more discovery of oil and gas, uh, meaning... Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Uh, it, it made it possible to produce a gasoline engine instead of a steam engine, which is very bulky. And yeah, they, yeah, that's how it got exciting. Yeah. Which reminds me of the Stanley Steamer. Now today we have alternate fuels, hydrogen cells, uh, batteries, etc. You ever hear hear of a vehicle running on coal or wood? <laughs> I haven't, but I mean that's what trains ran on. You know, um, it's bulky, heavy. Yeah, and I think. I think you're right. As soon as they could burn something like kerosene or gasoline, it was much more compact. Yeah. All right. So we got Duryea. Is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah, that's right. It's a French word. Um, in um, 1880, 1890, something like that. Something like that. Then we come up to the um, 20th century. Um, we got uh, a lot of... Um, uh, I would call them cart, horse cart, you know, uh, makers and bicycle makers switching from horse carts, I guess we could call it, and bicycles now trying out the, the um, gas engine, gasoline engine, I should say, so we don't confuse it with uh, LP know. gas, which, you know, like I said, alternative fuels, there have been cars that have run on LP gas. Um Funny enough, uh, just as a car guy, you know, thumbing through the internet, um, I found a company with my last name, Fuller. That's not too surprising. Yeah, and uh, they were um, wagon makers out in the Midwest that switched over to cars. Now, these things were, oh, my God, like 20 feet long <laughs> with big, huge wheels that, uh, you know, were almost chest high. Well, um, what can you tell me about some of the cars of that era, the early 1900s? Well, they weren't mostly big like that. Um, they were mostly small four-wheel things that were all open. You read, you know, mm. if you're lucky, you had a windshield. And, um, you know, they just had a gas motor. It was usually under the, under the seat, you know, in the back because it, Everything was high, just like a stagecoach, and the roads needed yeah. it. So there'd be a little <laughs> one-cylinder motor under the back seat somewhere. Oh, one-cylinder, okay. Oh, at, at most. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was plenty of power for what they were going to do next. Um, Did they have that get, crank crank in the front to, instead the of crank was wherever it was handy. Uh, I don't think it was in the front thing because the motor was... would be nearer the motor, yeah. Side, could be at the side. Could maybe. be on the side, Crank it and jump in. <laughs> right, right. Parking on a hill, it's a lot easier. <laughs> All right, so um, some had the windshield, uh, a rag top, uh, just like you would on a coach. Um, you know, those early ones. They didn't ones, all have any top at all. That's Some without. Yeah. 
Um, those first ones didn't seem overbuilt, really. They were spindly. <laughs> they were spindly little things. Oh yeah, but yeah. We're talking again, nineteen single digits. One, yeah. Nineteen oh one, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Up until when was the T, the Ford Model T? Do you know? Uh, about nineteen oh eight or something. Really? Yeah. Okay. But there were a lot of cars before that that were all cast iron and steel and wood and everything. Yeah. And they were expensive. They were called Toys for the Rich. Uh-huh. And um, which they were, they were cause more in a house. Um, but Ford had an idea that maybe, well, he was from a farm and, and had the idea it could be useful for, to make a useful car for, that people could afford. And um, he, and the T was actually a very advanced car for its day. Hmm. It used fancy steel from the chassis instead of cast iron to save weight. Everything he did was to save weight. Anywhere you save weight, Smart. you save more weight. You know? Yeah. And um, uh, he had already been in building cars since like 1900. I think he worked for Cadillac in huh. the beginning. <laughs> and... Uh, and he's the one. He did not invent the assembly line. It's much older, but for cars, he was the first okay. one. Otherwise, they were building them like, in, like they build a coach, a bunch of guys in yeah. the room, you know. Yeah. And, um, the huddle, <laughs> like yeah, the yeah, huddle. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're in my way. I'm in your way. You're in my way. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he was up for efficiency over time. You know, he built, he bought his own steel mills and his own glass making for glass. Holy and cow. He didn't. He understood. It's called a horizontal monopoly where you buy all the things. In fact, the Dodge brothers built all his motors up until the 20s. They were well-known and built a good motor. And he uh, finally bought that part out. Um, and it's kind of a good story. Uh, he didn't have enough money to pay them the amount. So he went around to all the people who sold Fords, which were like blacksmith shops, and he said, okay, you're going to buy some inventory or you're going to lose your dealership. And Ford was already the most popular brand. Huh. And so they, they put up all the money for him to buy the Dodge Brothers out to start making his own motors. <laughs> he, 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 was well, good at, he was good at thinking like that, yes. I saw him copying each other pretty late uh, also. Was that? I saw them copying each other pretty late also. You know, like they, you could put the same wheels on on Dodge and and Ford. Oh no, that's that's much later. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm yeah. saying. I saw the similarities much later. Yeah, well, the idea of standardization is a heck of one, but it most of the cars were proprietary. That is, they bought a motor from a motor company and a transmission from a transmission company, and brakes from a brake company. Um, Body by Fisher. Body by Fisher, exactly, which had made carriages before they made cars. Yeah. And, uh. All right. So Ford came up with that assembly line for the car in teens, 20s. When was that? Do you no, think? it'd be about 1908. The Model T was. Oh, that early. W- well, whole, that's what his whole idea the was. The whole Model T run. Okay. The Model T was to make a car unbelievably cheap compared with everybody else's. And it went down in price for. Till like 1927, because he kept improving the efficiency. Yeah. By 1927, you could buy a Model T for $275. And 
there was more money than it is now, but it wasn't much. And um, he kept it as simple to fix as possible. Um, the repair shops, some of them were blacksmith shops anyway. Uh, but, yeah, he definitely had it in mind that it would be something everybody might use instead of just somebody who was wealthy enough. Uh, the cars took over and tractors took over immediately because they were much deeper than keeping horses. Mm -hmm. Horses are unbelievable. And you, you're feeding them even if you're not using them. You know? yep. So uh, that, that happened quick, and it cleaned up the streets, which were full of horse manure. Wasn't well, that something? One of the biggest reasons to switch to the car was the manure problem in the cities. Oh, they were Not cleaning amazing. it. They had to clean it continuously. <laughs> tons and tons of it. Wow. Yeah. 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 All right. Big, big One more thing about Ford I understand is his liberal management techniques were not um, benign. In other words, <laughs> he upped his uh, workers' salary so they could afford to buy the cars they made. That was what he said. <laughs> what happened was that the, the daily rate was uh, $2.50, and he raised it to 5 Whoa. And the other manufacturers hated him. And when asked why, I said, well, I want my workers to be able to uh, afford to buy one of my cars. Um, actually, as usual, that was a little bit of... Uh, Bullshit. <laughs> the real reason he did it was if you pay $5 instead of 250 you get the pick. Everybody comes to you for a job. And a good employee is always worth way more than twice as much as a regular okay. one. Okay, okay. So, now, he never did anything that wasn't practical. Um, but he did, well, as far as benign goes, um, he wasn't any worse than any of them. I mean, it was a different time. He provided the housing a lot, for instance. Oh, huh. and um, But that wasn't uncommon back then for a lot of businesses. Uh, more bunch, feudalistic in some ways. A bunch of parts were wood, and he grew his own oak uh, there in Michigan for yeah. for frame parts or whatever needed to Frames be. Frames were, were actually very fancy steel. There wasn't any wood in them, but the body was... Uh, he actually went mostly steel because... It turned out to be lighter and easier to fabricate, and uh, their frames were the highest, fanciest steel that was available at the time. Everybody else was using cast iron, which is heavy, and yeah. he knew saving weight would make everything more efficient, and uh, yeah, he was a character for sure. Okay, are we out of the teens yet with the, um, when the Model A came in? Model A came in in 27 or 8. Okay. It was a big, he hadn't changed it at all, and it was lagging behind everybody else's stuff. Nevertheless, they sold 60% of all the cars in the country. Well, why did, oh, so he changed from the T to the A to, to compete with the other companies. Well, it's time to modernize it in a lot of ways. Whether it was mm -hmm. gonna, He was already selling all the cars, 60%. Huh. But, I mean, things had changed a lot since 1908, but 1920 was a okay. big, big, big period. And his hadn't. And uh, so they came up with a much more modern car. Uh, how fast could the, could the A go? What, years? No, how, fa how fast could oh, the A go? Oh, how fast did an A go? Well, 40 was pretty, you know, it might go faster depending... But speeding. It was on the <laughs> so roads they had, at on, the, on the roads they had. You didn't really want to go too fast. Yeah. Okay. Way. But no, they 
My father talked about being down in Florida, and if you're going into the headwinds at 45, it started to overheat, you know, <laughs> because it was just wasn't – anyway. And the, the technology tank, of the day, the water wasn't doing enough work, you know, so. The gas tank was on your lap? The gas tank was on the uh, – right under the windshield. Oh, great. Uh, right behind the motor. You filled it, and if gravity fed to the carburetor, no fuel pump. And he wasn't the only one to do that. That was more or less standard. Kiss a goodbye in an accident, huh? <laughs> accident? Well, being in one of those cars was an accident, I mean. <laughs> I tried to fit into a Model A once. Um, I'm trying to remember if it had a suicide door or not, but as I slid my foot in between the door the frame, the door, and um, the uh, platform that the seat was mounted on, I could not get my foot in unless <laughs> I turned it pointed ways or heel first. Yeah. You couldn't sweep it in like you do, you know, in no. a modern car. It was that tight. Yes, they were not big. No. Um, but guess where you're going now. <laughs> I'm the main reason, though. So. And then during the Depression, a doodle bug, uh, there's still some around, was one of these Model A's that was turned into a tractor. Amazing. The ingenuity well, they were already of the been farmers. making tractors for years by then. They had steam tractors. Well, first. I'm saying a guy who oh, is yeah. in the Depression and he doesn't have any money and he wants to scratch and claw at the ground and, and grow some food to survive. Sure. So turn some of those cars into... Well, but out in the Midwest, they call the doodle bug, which is a tractor made, made out of a... Uh, oh, yeah. Model geez. T's, too, they made them out of. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and Ski-Doo-type huh? things. Was that? Ski-Doo-type things with uh, snow skis on the front and, uh, you know, uh, uh, rear tires with nails through the <laughs> through the tire for traction. Whatever, yeah. Yeah, it's a sleigh. <laughs> It's a sleigh. It was, you know, it was a time when people thought for themselves and did what they could. Now we're all intimidated and do what we're told. <laughs> and uh, what do you think the horsepower in in a Model oh, A was? Actually, I'm supposed to know the answer to that. Thirty-five, uh, something like that. Thirty-five, 35 or forty. Yeah. yeah, forty. I think it was forty. 40 yeah. okay. It was higher than the T, which was like twenty-five or something. But yeah. again, given the nature of the vehicles. <laughs> So we're into the twenties uh, and thirties. Uh, when did do you think hydraulic brakes? These these oh. old brakes were chains, cable, and and a rods. shoe. They were rods. rods that pulled and pushed. When do you think hydraulic? Uh, well, what happened was in the twenties, uh, Ford was resistant to making hydraulics. Was considered kind of like NASA, you know, was high tech, <laughs> and he wanted. People didn't necessarily understand how to fix it or anything, so he kept them mechanical right up to 1939. Okay. Everybody else went over to hydraulics in the 20s, huh. um, which worked infinitely better. It's not even worth discussing. My father would tell me, you'd go in to get your oil changed or whatever, and they'd adjust your mechanical brakes, which was the length of the rods. And it stopped straight for... No, there are a few days, and then it started pulling on uh -oh. there. And you couldn't possibly keep them in balance. Hydraulic automatically balances the pressure to all the brakes, so it's a heck of a good idea. So we're in the 30s. Um, 
What about cars of the forties? Let's let's take a uh, typical. Okay, the industry has post World War II and pre pre war cars and post war cars, uh, which we were basically should, the same. We should finish up maybe the pre war war cars. Yeah. Well, you know when I look at cars um, of the era, I really have a visceral difference. Um, I really like. Uh, from late 30s, definitely after 35, 6, 7, 8, they begin to be more smooth, how could I say it, almost a feminine shape mm, that's really, ones. really in my mind. You know, it's taste. Yeah. How can we account for taste? You know, in Europe, it's uh, the 50s, 60s, and kind of ends in the 70s for what I like to look at, those rounded lines. Um you know, what can you say? You said that pre- and post-war cars aren't that different? Well, uh, no. What I'm saying is the cars they were making in 1941 mm -hmm. or 39, then there was the war to take care of. When they came out again in 46, they were the same cars. Um, okay. And they rapidly changed after that. But right. if you compare the model, it would probably be the same models. They didn't have time to redesign it. They were too busy. Yeah, just um, pre and post. And there was war, a shortage yeah. of cars they wanted to get them going, you know. So uh, it was like that, that to that extent they were the same. And then they changed very, very rapidly. The big change was uh, the gasoline was very low octane before the war. And I don't think even it was 80, seven years. The, the compression ratios were like five or six to one right, at right. most. Right. And after the war, they developed much higher octane gasoline for fighter planes. Exactly. And so immediately, um, you, you could go to eight to one, and that's as high as you can get on a flathead because of the space of the combustion chamber. And that's when overhead valves came back strong because of what, nine to one, 10 to one, 11 to one, as you could get gas that was very, uh, didn't knock, you know, would pull up with the compression. You get a lot more power and efficiency the higher your compression, mm -hmm. which is the main reason a diesel at 18 to 1 gets better efficiency than a gas engine. It's got to do with compression. So, so now you're talking maybe 50s, um, I call that the bulge mobile. Right. Well, the early 50s. They were really rounded, not, not that feminine. Well, you got feminine early 50s and mid-50s, late 50s. Yeah. You went from cars that still look like the 30s and 40s to cars that look like the Batman being on steroids. Yes. And, by the way, it was some of the worst junk ever made. The early 60s, oh, you're saying? just awful. Yeah. They, they were improving them so fast, they didn't know how to make them. You know, they had automatic transmissions, which they didn't know how to make. They had hydraulic lifters. Everything they did was, and they didn't care because people were buying like crazy. Mm -hmm. So they actually... The economy was booming. Yeah, right. And the, they actually, well, if your car was two or three years old, you couldn't buy parts for it anymore, like body parts and stuff. Huh. And it was a game the manufacturers were playing. And to get you to buy a new one, otherwise you couldn't fix it. So the federal government stepped in and said, no, you have to keep parts for 10 years for anything right. you build. Right. And it still is 10 years, only now, which the equivalent would be 25 or 30. Now, lots of Japanese cars and stuff keep them around for 25 or 30. Mm -hmm. Other companies, uh, as when the last one is built, 
you know, the, the clock runs out in 10 years on that model. I, I got um, a 78 motorcycle, Japanese motorcycle. I can still get parts well, for I brand say. new. Yeah. Yeah. No, they have a... It's amazing. They, they think differently, um, yeah. like some ethics. Um, well, they had to come from nowhere. You know, made in Japan was a joke. It meant toy. You couldn't have said anything worse than made in Japan. And to make a car... You know, and so they had to do it the hard way. They had to earn it. Yeah, okay. Let's uh, stay American. Just we're wrapping up. Well, we made shortly. all the cars, and the only affordable ones, really. You know, something you said a little earlier, it, it made me think um, it might help with the development of the muscle cars that they had in the mid and late 60s. Um, you said they were kind of junky in the early 60s. Um, no, the late 50s, familiar? they were the worst. Oh, okay. By the beginning of the 60s, they well, were getting much better. Yeah, yeah the, the finned uh, monsters. The uh, fins, yeah, well, they weren't. I the, remember yeah. the, 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 the uh, displacement. Just the technology wasn't. Technology improved big, and the cars from the 60s were some of the really the first good cars ever built in terms of practical own, you know, and cheap. You know. The displacement started to swell up. I remember the Thunderbolt, um, what was it, the Fury or whatever that was. These were square-lined cars of the early 60s right. that had, I call it the pre-muscle, they had big motors. Well, they I had think the, big, the Beach Boys sing a song they kept about getting 409. Bigger. And stuff yeah, but like the, that. But you got to remember, in the fifties, they had the three ninety two Hemi, which wasn't tiny, and they had the Rocket eighty eight, which is up to three ninety one or something. So the motors were already big, but they were okay. getting. Well, the muscle car was they took a big motor from a big car and shoved it in a smaller car, right? Which made it fast, bad handling because it was too yeah. nose heavy <laughs> and a hell of an idea, you know. Yeah, uh, truck but, motor in a in a well, it wasn't a truck motor; it was like car. a Cadillac motor stuffed into a small four yeah four door sedan, yeah. and it, it went, but they had no traction because the, the motor was too heavy. But they certainly jumped. Good you know. in a straight line, yeah. Yep. Drag straight car. line machine, exactly. So we got um, through the uh, late 60s. Um, let's see, the 70s really sort of kept it kept the, it the 70s same. were a big problem because there was emissions controls that was being changed every few years. So That's right. the fools built cars that passed the emissions, and then two years later they had to come up with a new idea. VW, on the other hand, started using Fuel, fuel injection, injection yeah. in 1968. Yeah, they figured uh, we'll do something that can be made to run cleaner. An interesting sideline is who invented fuel injection, electronic or electrical? Uh, Bendix, American really? company. In the 50s, they had put it in a couple Chevys and a couple Dodges. Yeah, Corvette. And Bosch bought the rights and started oh. putting them in VWs. Okay. So we got um, that era uh, changing into um, uh, electronic ignitions, which was that was turned out to be then. a good thing. The EC, what is it? Uh, electric con ECU that became the that's a computer computer word, yeah. of yeah well, later that was, years. Yeah, computers. Every car had a computer from 1981 on, even though a lot of them were carbureted. And then the computer was good for making fuel injection because it could figure everything out to a fairly well. So uh, 
fuel injected cars are so much better than carbureted cars. You don't even want to discuss mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, going from oceanside to mountaintop and things like well, that. Well, it's yeah. not like that. I mean, if you, it, there were some years when you could buy a certain car that came, the cheaper model was a carburetor, and the next one oh, was fuel injection. Yeah. You would think they almost doubled the size of the motor, but they hadn't. It was the same motor. Right. Electronic it's just that the fuel yeah. injection could give it the right oh, amount of injection. gas all the time. Okay. A carburetor was... A, Horrible compromise, but there was nothing else, you know. Venturi. <laughs> but the funny thing is now you get uh, some people who tell us how cars were much faster when they had carburetors. Just like, yeah. And biplanes used to fly to the moon, you know. It was like total ru- Anybody who lived through the age of carburetors is very glad they're gone. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped playing with cars uh in the late 70s because I graduated from school and had a nice income and I could pay a mechanic. Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, but because of that, I missed the electronic fuel injection and the computers. So you didn't miss we jumped, exactly. we jumped yes. to, let's say, 85, and we have throttle body, uh, you yep. know, a dual jet uh, f- uh, fuel injection into a carburetor almost. Um and, you know, it sort of evolves, um, would you say, by um, early or mid-90s? Um, they're yeah, pretty the much where we're at 90s, today. Around there, everybody pretty much had multi-point fuel injection, which is one, uh, one injector for every cylinder. But even then, there's a series of evolutions beyond yeah, that. Sequential um, port. But that was sort of, yeah, that's the basic. Yeah. And they were... Infinitely more reliable. Anybody who thinks fuel injection is a problem knows nothing. It's always been more reliable than than any other form of getting a car to run, always. Okay, how about, um, you know, I mean, we're not exactly up to today, but how about these vehicles now that have the big screen, a big computer screen on the dashboard? That would be... Illegal if we still had regulations because it's extremely dangerous. You keep your it takes you spend more time looking at it to adjust things than you would the old-fashioned method were, and there's no question that they would have had to take them out almost immediately. The lawsuits would have been unbelievable. There's no way they could have got away with it, but we're being deregulated, so. Don't drop your soap, as they say. Give, you know. give them what they want. Um, sell them more bells and whistles. Um, the marketers hear- think it's great, but they're, they're finding out that humans, um, by the mid-2000s, don't like all the stuff. It's too much, and it's too complicated. Excellent. And it's like they find a way through it like a rat through a maze, and they don't, <laughs> they don't learn the rest. And the fact is, if somebody had a model with old-fashioned, a simplified system, they'd sell them because it, it's a pain in the ass and they're much more prone to trouble. You have to outthink the computer. It's not really helping you. And um, it's devised by marketeers and computer guys who think they're making a computer game, you know, so save the princess, you know, drive off the road. <laughs> How about all the accessories they have now? What's that? How about all the accessories they have now? All the accessories. Well, I'm thinking mostly of gizmos like that. Um, recently, Tesla put in a braking system that will stop your car if they think you're too close to the car ahead of you. Autonomous. 
Uh, it's wrecked a lot of tersels so far because it, well, it decides when you might have to stop and locks up the brakes. They got pictures of them. Oh, boy. And there's another thing I almost hate to mention called lane assist. I've heard of that. <laughs> That's caused a lot of accidents, too. Um, and you can't turn it off. I wouldn't mind if you wanted, but once you got that automatic braking, well, I mean, Musk is in big trouble on them. He's got lawsuits. Really He'll survive. Musk, yeah. He's smart. But All automatic right. isn't always better. <laughs> to wrap up, you got any predictions about um, the cars of uh, 2030, 2040? Well, they're all going to be electric. The whole okay. gas engine. Uh, General Motors has said they will not build any combustion engines in 2035. And they're going to come in quicker. The only reason they seem more expensive now is the cost of the battery. Um, electric car is much cheaper to build than a, a gas engine car. The electric motor has one moving part, remember. Um, but the batteries have been coming down very rapidly. Yeah, That's I the put, key. I put one in for $300 a couple months ago. A new battery. $300. For what car was that? The Purus, Purus, however you pronounce no it. No kidding. And it was all modular. You snap this off, snap the other thing off, push it right in there. Oh, uh, they're very easy to in, change. All of them are easy to change. Throw the switch, put, put, put back the Well, cover. what happened was a few years ago, a Prius battery was $5,000. Yeah. Which meant you, then you lasted a long time, but that pretty much wiped out any gas you thought you saved. Um, and then one year, the, the Chinese came out with a replacement for $500. So you could, and this had been predicted more or less, but that's a big change. So that meant a new battery was something might cost less than a brake job. So it was no longer a limiting factor in terms mm -hmm. of the actual cost of ownership, you know. Um, and that's where we're headed. So you think it'll be the battery, not the hydrogen cell? Hard to say, or? I despise hydrogen. Mm -hmm. You can't carry enough to get out of your own way. You can't condense it down to a liquid. Okay. I don't know why anybody's interested in it, but. Heidelberg. <laughs> Electricity works just fine. Electric motor puts 90% of the power onto the road. A hydrogen motor isn't going to work any better on a gasoline engine, as far as that goes, only just, you know. I'm not with it. <laughs> All right. I don't think we could go too much further. Um, I want to thank you for coming in today and um, wish you luck in uh, Rimbeck's auto sale. Uh, you want to drop a um, net, uh, net address or a phone number or anything? Uh, it's Rimback Auto at Gmail. And do you use just all little letters, one word, Rimback, R-I-M-B-A-C-H, auto, at Gmail. And that's my personal one, but there's also, you can look up rimbackauto.com. Okay. And I have a web page. So how about a phone number? I beg your pardon? How about a phone number? 413 and it's out, out out on Creamery Road in Ashfield. Creamery Road in Ashfield. And I live there, so you can call pretty much any time. I may not be there, but it could be. All right. 
Thanks for all your information and time, Mr. Rimback. Thank you. Take care. This concludes today's podcast. We're always looking for new ideas, so feel free to reach out to Judy Raper, Associate Dean of Community Engagement at Greenfield Community College at 413-775-1819 if you have an idea you'd love to share. Special thanks to the creators of Backyard Oasis, Denise Schwartz, Chad Fuller, Dennis Lee, and Christine Copeland. Have a great day.